Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. episode is airing on Tuesday, June 22nd, 2021. Hello everyone, it's Shannon and I am here with your usual Tuesday morning episode. I've got an author interview. Today it's with author Sarah Pinsker who wrote We Are Satellites. This was released in mid-May and it was a fantastic science fiction story. Uh, lots of great family dynamics. I loved it a lot, so definitely pay attention to my interview with her. Following that, of course, we have the usual new book information, and there are lots of awesome things that I can't wait to tell you about that are coming out today. So let's get right to it. We'll start out, as always, with the housekeeping information, and then we will move on to the new books. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro Podcast. This is Shannon, and today author Sarah Pinsker is back to talk about her latest novel, We Are Satellites, which at the time of recording, May 11th, came out today. Sarah, welcome back to Book Bistro. Thanks for having me back. You are very welcome. So normally I I start out by having authors give listeners a little bit of an introduction to your book. But before you do that, I have to say that I was a little nervous to read this because... (laughs) Two years ago, you wrote a book about a pandemic and what would happen if a virus sort of swept the world and made everyone have to stay in their houses. And then that happened. Yeah. (laughs) So now we have We Are Satellites. And so I'm a little concerned about the the state of the world. Yes. So so, uh, (laughs) set your clock for six months from now and keep an eye on Elon Musk. Yes. So if you can give listeners a little bit of an introduction to this book, that would be fantastic. Sure. Uh, This is a story of one family and how they deal with a new technology that becomes ubiquitous. Um, The technology is something called the pilot, and it's a a brain implant that, that with a pretty small thing that it does, it just helps you uh, multitask better. And it's told through, uh, the, through, through the eyes of all four family members. So it starts, um, 
which includes uh, David, who is the teenage son, who is the first one in the family to ask for this because he says that he needs it to keep up with his classmates um, as it just becomes popular. And um, his, his mothers, uh, who one of whom is, a, is an early adopter and who very much wants to get it once she finds out what it does. Um, his other mother who is far more cautious about technology and his uh, sister who has epilepsy and uh, cannot get the implant. Um, and I said that all from the from sort of oriented around David, but he's not the the main character. It's told through all four of them. So the thing that's interesting is it talks a lot about technology and kind of about how this sort of changes the landscape of, of how people work, how they relate to other people. And we see it all through the lens of this family and sort of this small group of people is sort of a like the perfect sample size of like how this will impact the world in general. Yeah, the, it, it was a lot of, I, I like telling stories from ground level. Like I'm not as interested in the story of uh, the, you know, the chosen one who, who is the only one who can fix this. And I'm not interested. The, the, you could tell this as a political thriller. You could tell it as like a, a medical thriller with one, like a scientist who blows the whistle or something. You could tell, there, there are all kinds of ways to tell this, but I, I love telling ground level stories. And I, I just loved exploring the family dynamics of what would happen as this played out with a family that was split on whether or not to get it and, and the, as the dynamics between them change. Yes, because you can see, you know, right away sort of how this can serve as a point of conflict like between these four. And then, of course, as the story moves on, you see this even more. And so it made me kind of wonder, you know, is this how like factions of the world would view this? Like, will people sort of divide into this kind of camp of like having a pilot versus not? And what does that say about the way we use and, and process technology. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think, I think it would be easy to see, just as we see with lots of technologies now, um, the world does divide between people who, who have access to things. And there, there are ways to subsidize and there are ways to make sure that, that technologies get into the hands of, of everyone who needs them. But then it's a question of, do you need it? And what are the repercussions also? Yes, like how much of it is a need and how much of it is kind of a want because of like status or right. any kind of pressure that might be, um, you know, put on certain groups of people. Yeah, absolutely. So what was sort of your inspiration for the idea of the pilot concept? So, so the initial idea, I was at a, an epilepsy uh, conference, a symposium for doctors uh, as part of uh, my old day job uh, where I, I was an info and referral person and um, ran some support groups and stuff like that. So, so I was, my job was basically to get as much information as possible. Um, and I'm a research person, so I love doing that. Um, and I was at the symposium and there was a doctor who was talking about a um, an implant that was developed for epilepsy 
that had turned out not to have good applications for epilepsy after all. And, um, but happy ending, they were using it for other things. Um, and I started thinking about how frustrating it, it was for the people I was working with um, that there were all of these things that were being developed in medications and devices, some of which would turn out to work, some of which would turn out to have side effects that, that could be you know, pretty awful. Um, but, but you would wait and wait for something to come out and then actually they wouldn't let you have it after all. Um, and it's one thing if at least you can say, but it does have these other applications. So someone is getting use out of it. Um, someone is being helped. Um, but then I started thinking about how frustrating it would be if something came out that um, was meant to, to um, help you. And instead it's just got, the, they're using it for commercial applications and now everyone's getting it except for you. Um, so I sort of sprung from there. That is kind of the interesting dilemma that plagues so much of the world, especially the world of people with various disabilities where, you know, there are these things that are sort of touted as the latest and greatest that can help mitigate, you know, certain disabilities. And then you find out like either they don't work the way they're supposed to, or they're prohibitively expensive. So, the average person on disability, you know, or even people that are working a job aren't necessarily going to be able to afford them. Right. So it is very much a real thing that happens. And I love, you know, even though like Sophie has a specific condition that, you know, is, is referenced in the book, you could sort of apply that to any type of, of disability where you feel left behind in, in some way or other because of the technology that, you know, in some ways, like, is supposed to help you. Right. Yeah, absolutely. There, there's, there's a lot of interesting ground there, like, like applications and ethics and, and all kinds of things. And finances, I've, like you said. I've lost count of the amount of these advertisements that I see where people are like, oh, we are trying to build, you know, a robotic guide dog. I'm like, um, but like, no, like build something that would actually be useful. Right. <laughs> Not just something like just to see if you can. Like, sure, build a robotic dog. Like, that's great. I'm allergic to dogs. So a robotic one, like, theoretically would be okay. But, like, do we trust technology that far? Like, would I trust a robot to keep me safe, you know, on the streets of New York City? No, not, not right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, there's so many questions about the ethics of... Uh, uh, about programming, too. The, you know, yes. The, the things that have come up with... Um, with self-driving cars, uh, not, you know, not recognizing black people, like, you know, <gasps> the, there's, there's, you know, it, it's the programming and it, it's a programming issue, but it's also questions that programmers failed to ask. Right. And, um, yeah. All of those things. And it's such a, you know, thing we see just with, like you said, with the self-driving cars, with any, I guess, major technology, you know, I remember when like texting first became a big thing and, you know, early cell phones did not talk. 
Right. And it was almost impossible to find an accessible cell phone. And sometimes that meant you had to buy like a third party application to install on a phone. And this would be, you know, in some cases, like hundreds of dollars. Yeah. And, you know, it was insane. And then you, you know, finally there came like, you know, the Apple devices and a few other um, kind of strides were made in accessibility. And so now I feel like I can at least buy a phone and it's a similar thing to like what someone else would buy. Like I can buy an iPhone, you can buy an iPhone. I may turn voiceover on mine and you may not, but it's still the same phone. I'm not having to do any like super expensive things or buy a phone that is just made for blind people or however that would work. Right. And there's, there's all this great ground there in terms of, um, yeah, like what, what people envisioned and what actually, how it actually plays out, like when, when you look at it and then what are, what are the good points and what are the, the, like, what are the downsides? So you have all those things like, like there were all those devices that were being made, you know, not just pre cell phone where you could have one device that would tell you um, the colors of different clothing. So, that oh, yes. could, right. And then you had the one that, that like could uh, count money so that you, uh, so that you can look at bills and, um, uh-huh. and you had to have like 20 different gadgets and then, yes. and then they could be consolidated into one smartphone, but the apps cost a whole lot of money. And yes. Not everyone can have that. Um, and then we can apply that to like vaccine stuff right now where oh, yes. um, where the rollout, you know, they said, you know, here are the groups that are able to get this. Wow, it seems like a lot of people aren't signing up. Well, no, maybe they don't have cell phones. Maybe they don't have um, data plans. Maybe they don't know how right. to do this. Maybe they don't, you know, maybe you didn't design good accessibility into your platform. Uh, so, so there's a hundred things there that are holding people back and they say, oh, it's people afraid to get the vaccine. No, people want it, but the, but the access wasn't there. So, yeah. Right. The access, the information, like so much was missing in that whole process. So when you are writing, um, you know, both of your books have involved technology to, to some degree. So when you are, are sitting down to write, do you kind of plan out sort of all the ways in which your tech will work? Like, do you know the good sides and the bad sides of these things, like as you're writing? Or does it sort of surprise you as the story unfolds? Some of them I have to write my way into. Some of them I discover as I go. Um, some of them are part of the what if process. So, ah. so a lot of my research at the beginning is the stuff that... Um, either uh, like I try to ask the questions who would this help as a sort of larger question who would this hurt Um, who you know who would profit is also a big one Um, yes and within within those questions like you can start to find the people who you want to talk about Um, and sometimes those are main characters and sometimes those are side characters who who want a chance to tell their story as well Um, and then, and then as I do research and I talk to um, experts in, in the field, then I start finding the other thing, uh, the other limiting factors is part of it. So I can, you know, talking to neurologists and epileptologists and neuroscientists, um, 
I started to get an idea of what I wanted the implant to do and what I didn't want it to do. Um, and they were also telling me what would theoretically maybe, maybe, maybe be possible versus like, don't do that. Like every scientist will laugh at you. Um, so, you know, like, and I want things that like are almost plausible. Like I, I, I right. wasn't as interested in telling, you know, like, like there was that movie Lucy a few years ago with Scarlett Johansson where it's like, and now you can use your entire brain. And like, I didn't want the, like the big flashy implant. I wanted the thing that like sort of maybe you need it or maybe you want it or maybe it wasn't so intrusive and it's not a you know like like it's a day you know it's it's just an outpatient surgery and it's not a you know I wanted it to be close enough to why not that people would start mm -hmm. thinking about it and then and then doing the research on medical devices and the difference between devices and medications and how uh, the path to market and the path to approval and all of that uh, was a huge eye opener and also gave me a lot of room to to start thinking about more uh, downsides that I hadn't considered. Like I already, the upsides are the easy part. Um, like, cause yeah, that just, makes sense. Yeah, like, like it's easy enough to sell yourself on something, but the the um, we're we're very good at the short term. Um, applications of things and we're not as good at, at looking at like what's coming down the road like you know the way that it uh, social media has changed our brains you know that kind of yes. stuff like like we're not as good at seeing down the road to well and then and then and then um right but, some but of that where... comes from like lack of background I think you know like I don't know a lot about like brain development and neuroplasticity and all these things that sort of shape how we interact with the world from a like neurological standpoint. Um, but, you know, thinking about it logically, it would make sense to me that things like social media and other tech would have an impact on the way our brains work. Right. And if you look at the, like, what, what people, like what people who work for some of those social media companies or for the, like, even the like the makers of of the tablets and whatever like when when you look at whether what they let their kids do online and what they don't <laughs> you know like like how much screen time they give them like like versus yes. you know and obviously this year has been a something that wasn't anticipated in any case and all the rules changed but but like even even you know all the parents that I knew who were saying and my kid will not have screen time like everything went out the window this year um well, sure, because like you have to have screen time in so many cases for kids even to be in school. Right. So you better uh, <laughs> start yeah. to rethink that whole, my child, you know, won't be using a screen because with the pandemic, you know, they, they sort of had to. Yeah. So it, I want... It, sorry, go ahead. I want to talk a bit about sort of what that was like for you to have written a song for a new day and then sort of see you know certain aspects of that book come in like come into being you know yeah. wasn't your same like virus obviously um but just how how was that to sort of watch that happen yeah it was really close to my virus uh, like not not so much with the physical uh with the symptoms but with the results um, yes and again it's it's like I I think I asked the right what if questions is what it happened to be 
Um, yes, you did. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so the, the hard part is like you write the book and then, you know, you wait a little while and then you get your edits. And so then you're immersed in it again. And so there, there, the, and then like it comes out and you do all the readings and the, and the conversations and you're immersed in it again. So there are these multiple, like you keep getting pulled back into that world. And when you write a world, that's a little stressful to live in, uh, you know, that, that can be stressful. And so, so you write it and you push it out and you're like, now it's finally away. I can start on the next world. And in this no. case, it just came like flying back again. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's like, hi, um, did you miss yeah, me? Um, Pandemic. <laughs> yeah, I've been, I've been saying sort of like a, a basketball rebounding unexpectedly. Um, yes. And, and yeah, I asked the, I think it's also because I asked these what if questions, but set them around again, like a, a small, a smaller lens like like because it's it's about people who are on the ground and specifically musicians and we've all seen what's happened with music this year as a very like yes. obvious case of the th- like live music is the thing we can't have and like it's emblematic of the crowds we can't have and like we see you know the result in in venues closing left and right and in mm-hmm. musicians you know unable to make a living and those were exactly the questions i was asking so so yeah, it's been a weird, weird, weird year. <laughs> <laughs> so what is next for you now that We Are Satellites um, is out in the world? Well, in, in this pandemic year, I have been completely unable to write near future uh, science fiction. Um, oh, dear. Yeah, which is fine because I also do other, like I, I write, uh, I've written fantasy and dark fantasy and horror and, and far future and whatever. So I'm just going to, uh, I've been working on a novel that is sort of contemporary slash historical sort of fantasy. Um, yeah. And I, I had a lot of research to do for that one, which has been a lot of fun because um, I'm a big research nerd. So, so I'm, uh, I'm not super far into it, but I'm, I'm working at a pretty steady pace now and I'm really excited about that one. Awesome. Fantasy is so, so immersive and, it's like you can just sort of get sucked in. I think in a different way than you can get sucked into other genres. There's just something about fantasy that just like reels you in and you can't escape from it. And it's wonderful. Yeah. It yeah, makes I'd, me I'd very, like very happy. Yeah. I just want to write something that isn't in danger of coming true. <laughs> uh, yes. Yes. Like you can write about like some vampires or something and you should be pretty safe. Right. <laughs> Hopefully people will not be uh, becoming vampiric anytime soon. Right, right. Have you read anything recently that you want the world to know about? Uh, for some reason, I keep drawing a blank on this question. And it's partly because I, um, I've been teaching this semester and I've mostly been reading my student stories. Uh, but there's ah, a couple okay. of things, Yeah, but there are a couple of things that are about to come out that I love. Um, uh becky chambers has a new novella um i'm gonna blank on the name again i think it's a psalm for the well-built i think that's what it's called um which is a a new world for her and it's it's one it's a very peaceful and gentle bit of science fiction and i loved it um uh, there's a new alex harrow novella called A a spindle splintered um that's a great title yeah which is a a fairy tale retelling and I just think her writing is marvelous 
Um, I am looking at my, sh uh, there's a whole bunch of new collections that came out this year that, that I'm super excited to read. Uh, Isabel Yap's um, Never Have I Ever and the new Aliyah Don Johnson collection are both sitting here waiting for me patiently. Um, oh, I saw that she has a new novel, but I did not realize, or not a new novel, I guess, but like a, you know, her 2020 novel, I didn't realize she also had a collection out. Yeah, it, it came out from Small Beer. Uh, both of those were Small Beer, uh, who, full disclosure, are, are my, uh, are the ones who published my, my short fiction collection, but um, ah. they were the ones who, like, like, that was my dream publisher. Like, I had never actually thought I was ever going to write a novel at the time that I started writing short fiction. I, I just wanted to be a short fiction writer. All I'd ever pictured was a collection and small beer has always been my favorite uh, publisher of, of short fiction. That um, is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That was a fish my wish. issue. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your release day schedule to come and chat with me. And I will definitely be keeping an eye out for a new book from you. Um, in a while but your books are are so so interesting to to contemplate just all of the the issues that you raise and i really appreciate that about your writing oh thank you so much you're welcome and good luck thank you uh, it's it's been a pleasure okay so we are talking about new books and first up, we have, of course, the books that you've heard us mention before um, on our most anticipated books of June episode. And this is a great day for me because two of my most anticipated books are out today. So Blush by Jamie Brenner. This is women's fiction that looks like it's kind of a love letter to the Bodish Ripper romances of my youth, which makes me super happy. I love Jamie Brenner. I love books that pay homage to romance. So I'm really excited to give this a try. And What's Done in the Dark by Laura McHugh is also out today. This is a thriller. I've loved her previous books. So I'm really looking forward to this one. And Brooke is eagerly anticipating the new Claire McIntosh. This is Hostage. And it is also out this week, which is a fantastic thing. So let's talk now about books that we haven't mentioned before. And first up here will be a book called God Spare the Girls. I think this is a really fantastic title. Um, I think I would think it was a fantastic title, even if I didn't know what the book was about. But since I do, I'm especially excited about it. So this is by Kelsey McKinney. It is about two sisters who live in North Texas. And I spent some time in North Texas, so I definitely understand the kind of uh, political and religious climate there. And these two women, their father is the pastor of a mega church, and they find out some really disturbing secrets about him that apparently upend everything. This is God Spare the Girls, and it's by Kelsey McKinney. We then have The Secret Keeper of Jaipur. This is the Jaipur Trilogy, book two by Elka Joshi, 
And this is historical fiction set in India. I, I read The Henna Artist, which is the first book in this series a couple of years ago and really loved it. So this one picks up where the last one left off and we this time follow the protege of the first book's heroine. So this is one I'm really looking forward to. I loved the first one. This is The Secret Keeper of Jaipur, Jaipur Trilogy, book two by Elka Joshi. We then have What a Happy Family. This is by Samya Dave, and it is basically a look at how family copes in the wake of catastrophe. It focuses a lot on family dynamics, on kind of the ways in which all families are dysfunctional. And I love books like this that really dig deep into the messy imperfections of family. So this is What a Happy Family, and it's by Samia Dave. We then have Love Scenes by Bridget Morrissey. This is a contemporary romance that is set in Hollywood about a woman who is sort of this uh, like the daughter of Hollywood royalty, essentially. She's, her acting career is not going the way she hoped, and so she ends up working as a director. And this may or may not work out for her and the man that is working with her. So this is Love Scenes, and it's by Bridget Morrissey. We also have Sky Falling. This is by Mia McKenzie, and it looks like it's like women's fiction with perhaps a bit of romance. Um, it's kind of hard to tell from the synopsis, but basically it's about a woman who is used to kind of living life solo. But there's one relationship that she just can't bring herself to run away from, even though there's a part of her that perhaps feels like she should run. This is Sky Falling by Mia McKenzie. All right. Should we talk about some mysteries? I think we should, because mysteries, thrillers, all these things are fantastic. So The Uniform. This is the first book in the Helen Carter series, and it's by Jody Lawrence. It is a Scottish procedural, and our heroine is a newly minted detective who has landed her first case, and apparently all sorts of things, both like that relate to the case and perhaps her personal life as well, kind of get in her way. So this is The Uniform, Detective Helen Carter, book one, by Jody Lawrence. Then we have A Distant Grave. This is Maggie Darcy, book two, by Sarah Stewart Taylor. She wrote um, The Mountains Wild last year, I believe, and so this is the follow-up to that. And Maggie, who is our heroine from the first book, is involved in a mystery that sort of moves between Ireland and Long Island. I love Long Island. I've lived there for a few years, and I really love it. Ireland has always fascinated me, so this looks perfect. It is A Distant Grave, Maggie Darcy, book two, by Sarah Stewart Taylor. And hanging out here still with, with series, we have Lie Beside Me. 
This is Jonah Sheen's book three by Githa Lodge. I read the first two books in this series. I thought the first one was absolutely amazing, and the second one I enjoyed as well, although not as much as the first one. So I'm interested in checking out number three. Um, I found that the characters were very compelling, and the mysteries um, had some pretty good twists. So definitely check this out if you enjoy British procedurals. So this is Lie Beside Me. Detective Jonah Sheen's book three by Githa Lodge. And Laura Lippman has a new book out. This is Dream Girls. And Lippman is an author that I either really love or really don't. Um, her last release was The Lady in the Lake, and I loved it so incredibly much. But the book that came out before that was Sunburn, which was kind of her um, attempt to write like a noir novel. And that one I didn't like. So I'm cautiously optimistic for Dream Girls. It asks the question, if a woman never existed, how can she be coming back to haunt someone? And I'm hoping we don't mean like literal hauntings because we all know how I feel about ghosts, but I do want to give this a try. It's Dream Girl by Laura Lipman. Moving on to a bit of fantasy here, we have Witness for the Dead, The Goblin Emperor, book two by Catherine Addison. The first book in this series got so much positive attention. I've not read it yet. It's one of those things where I'm a little bit leery of reading it because of the amount of hype that it's received. I always feel kind of bad when I end up not liking those books that everyone else is raving about, but I think I'm gonna have to get over myself and pick up The Goblin Emperor. Um, this one, they're calling it a standalone sequel. I'm not sure what that is. Maybe like a companion novel. I'm not sure. But it is about a half goblin who is looking for answers about how his father died. So this is Witness for the Dead, The Goblin Emperor, book two by Catherine Addison. Carrie Arthur has a new book out as well. This is Blackbird Crown. The Witch King's Crown, book three, by Carrie Arthur. This is not a series that I'm familiar with. Um, my favorite things that she's written are her Riley Jensen books and her Lizzie Grace series. But she has a number of urban fantasy slash paranormal romance series that I've not read yet and that I really would like to. So I'm guessing I'll be adding this one to the list, but if you are a Carrie Arthur fan as well, and perhaps um, caught up on more of her series than I am, you might want to check this one out. It is Blackbird Crowned, The Witch King's Crown, book three by Carrie Arthur. And then we have a Season of Sinister Dreams. This is by Tracy Bangart, and she wrote, um, oh my gosh, Grace and Fury a couple of years ago, and then the sequel is also out. But this one is a standalone young adult fantasy about two powerful girls who form an uneasy alliance to save their kingdom. So the premise definitely has been done before, but if Banghart's last couple of books were any indication, um, she will put her own spin on this. So it is A Season of Sinister Dreams 
by Tracy Bangert. We also have Darling. This is by Kay Ankrum, and it's a retelling of Peter Pan that is a thriller. I'm not quite sure how this will work. Like Peter Pan has those fantastical elements. So I don't know if it's like a thriller kind of set in a fantasy world. I, I'm not sure. But they're saying that it is a thriller and a retelling of Peter Pan for today's world. Um, I'm intrigued by this. I think retellings can be super cool when they're done well. And Peter Pan just has so much to offer. So I really want to see how this is going to be done. So it is Darling, and it's by Kay Ankrum. And I'm wrapping up today with Fierce as the Wind by Tara Wilson Red. This is a novel, a young adult novel, set in Hawaii. And it's kind of a coming-of-age story. It is about heartache and the transformation that that can bring. I'm really excited to read something set in Hawaii because I haven't really read a ton that takes place there. I've read some things that kind of reference it. I've seen people like hang out there for a second, like on a vacation, but I'm really looking forward to actually reading a book where the characters live in Hawaii and it's not just sort of this like island paradise that people use as their getaway. So I really want to check this out. And it, once again, is Fierce as the Wind, and it's by Tara Wilson-Red. And that, my bookity friends, is all I have for you today. Um, this was hopefully helpful to you, and you were able to find at least a few things that you want to read this week. It's always really hard for me. I always have so many things that I keep adding to my TBR pile. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, but that is okay. It is a good problem to have. I hope all of you are doing well, enjoying the start to your summer if you are um, in the Northern Hemisphere, and I guess the winter if you are in the Southern. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. <laughs>